All right, I'm Kylie. And I'm Izzy. And this this is the Written World Podcast. Yay! (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to be talking about um, Carmen Maria Machado's In the Dream House. Do you want to, like, summarize what the book's about? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, some of you might know Carmen Maria Machado from her very popular and award-winning book of short stories, Her Body and Other Parties. Um, incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is a departure from that, but only in some ways. Um, <laughs> this is her memoir, and it tells the story of a formative relationship in her life that becomes very problematic and abusive and it is told as a memoir but in a form that I've never seen before yeah I was so deliciously surprised (laughs) by um by the, the the narrative structure of this memoir um I thought um her body and other parties was great but this I felt like was on a whole nother level of amazingness so Yeah, I felt like every review that I read about it called it, like, genre-bending or genre-defying or, like, never-before-seen, you know, that kind of thing. And, I mean, I haven't read every book on the planet, but I I would agree. It wasn't what I was expecting at all Um, when when Izzy presented it to me as, let's read uh, Carmen Maria Machado's memoir. And I love memoirs, so I was... I was game, and I was game for this too, but I thought I was game for something else. Um, 100%. So, do you want to say, some, say um, like, your first impressions? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's worth commenting that I think on the back of the book, it says that it's kind of like this combination between, like, psychological horror and um, kind of, like, builds like pulls in these almost fantastical elements so I went in expecting that which is very much reminiscent of her body and other parties um but this was entirely different and while it pulled in those elements still it was very realistic and very like emotionally charged and I loved it like I thought it was I thought it was really great and totally not what I expected at all. Yeah, I think I think you said that really well. Like, it's not... Like, it's obviously a completely different genre from Her Body and Other Parties. But it was like, we got to see um, Machado's style of writing kind of applied to her own life. Which is terrifying and, like... It's like so multifaceted, um, but really, I think achieved something beautiful. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what the structure actually was. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, okay, so it's structured into like these short little sections, each titled "The Dream House as," and then some kind of. L- let me see if I can pull up an example. So the yeah, like some kind of like narrative trope. Yeah. The first one is Dream House as Overture, and then it moves to, like, Dream House as Prologue, and then after that, they change up a bit. 
like dream house is deja vu okay there's even a choose your own adventure at the like towards the end of this book and it was really clever how she pulled the reader through different like situations in her um her experiences with abuse and shown how no matter what she did and no matter what the reader chooses the outcome is still basically the same that it wasn't about her it was about this person's like manipulative personality and just the hopelessness you get going around in circles in a choose your own adventure that happens in this book was really creative and not something that I expected yeah like what a kind of stunning disturbing creative way to make that point because you know that could have been done in, in a thousand different ways um but like the choose your own adventure section alone could have been its own book yeah you know like she distilled it to to like this beautiful uh chapter of i listened to it as an audiobook so i don't know how many pages or whatever but it could it could have been its own thing and i think that really speaks to what the structure did for all of the chapters and sections of the book it was we talked about this a little bit before but because each chapter was formatted as its own kind of trope it was sort of inherently satisfying it was like you got a full story in each chapter um and not like not like you were hearing the same thing or reading the same thing over and over, but like you explored it in a different way each time, but still following along the length of the whole story. Absolutely. And I, I love works that are more experimental in form and don't necessarily follow like traditional narrative structures. The fact that the story pulls from the past and the present and kind of like weaves them in together along with a lot of like sociological research about the topic of queer abuse and how that's been recorded in history and in um, our society today. Um, just how she she goes back and forth between those things, but not in a way that seems confusing, in a way that's seamless, but also very, like you said, satisfying and wraps up each section in a way where you want to keep going. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, like the way she ties in research, both in um, a very, like a very detailed and thorough um, introduction or forward, I don't know exactly how it was formatted in the book, um, but before her, her story ever began, she talked about um, the history and research behind queer abuse and how it's perceived or not perceived by society, and kind of the common misconceptions of lesbian or generally queer relationships as as safe and problemless and and all of that and but then she continues to tie in that research here and there throughout the story and she brings it back in the end like it 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 never felt like straight um like straight research or straight story you know they were they were seamlessly woven together so that she was never really just telling her story it felt like she was speaking for a lot of stories that haven't been told. Absolutely. Um, so what I was saying was that uh, this kind of this idea of a when you're reading a book, 
on a scale of you're not really liking it, put it down. You're really liking it. You always want to pick it up. I felt like this book sat somewhere really pleasantly in the middle for me solely because I didn't feel rushed to pick it up again. Like, I definitely loved the work, but it felt more like a safe space to come back and return to. And the nature of the narrative wasn't really something like, say, like a work of fiction that's like a story where you just want to dive back in and see what happens next. It's more just like a space where you can go back to and exist. And while I did read this book very quickly, I still think it's its seat sort of in in this this kind of plate. The narrative structure lends itself to returning over and over again and kind of pausing in between, perhaps to like collect your thoughts or do something else. But I think that that was a really beautiful aspect of the memoir that it wasn't just this continuous narrative, it was broken up into pieces and spaces where like as a queer person you could feel free to exist and recognize not only the the like the inherent bad parts of humanity but the humanity of queer persons who are so often treated as like these perfect beings and like as as a queer person who's confronted that like stereotype before i think that was something really beautiful to like exist in wow that was really well said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I I think I think you're totally right about like the narrative structure lending itself really well to picking it up and putting it down. And I kind of sort of said the same thing, or I was thinking the same thing. Like if if couldn't pick it up was a one, and couldn't put it down was a ten. I'm at like a six because like I was always interested in picking it up again. But, like, it almost read like a book of short stories or worked like a book of short stories in that, like, you could sit down for a little while and read this part and then close it and pick up somewhere else. And it's not like you still have the background of the story, like the overall story that's going on, but you're picking up at a new place and hearing a new section of it. Um, So it was never like, oh, I got to backtrack. Which is not to say that it was like, sitting down and reading a fairy tale because it wasn't it was really I feel like heavy is not the right word because that's kind of throw like that's used on everything it wasn't heavy it was like I don't know I'll work on a word for that but it was a lot and I did feel like I was kind of relieved when each each um like section had like a not clean but like a distinct ending um where I could, like, pause it and make sense of it, Um, like, process everything that happened in that chapter, and I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to, to, like, keep going through it really quickly. Um, Yeah, I felt like it was the kind of thing that you need to kind of stop and digest, and it was made very well for that. Absolutely. Very well said. I completely agree. It, It felt like, the fact that things were put in such a succinct way where you could stop sort of how Machado stops in the narrative where she's experiencing these things head on and then it isn't until after she experiences them that she can kind of like form her thoughts around them that's sort of how like the narrative is structured 
so the reader has time to experience these things alongside her and then stop and kind of really take in what the implications of those events were. Yeah, that also makes me think about the fact that it's written in both first person and second person. Do you <laughs> wish to speak to that? I mean, I don't want to... No spoilers, spoilers here. Um, but... but this was one of my favorite narrative devices. I am a sucker for POV change and like use, like using um, point of view really creatively because I feel like that's not done a lot. Um, at least not in the type of fiction that I typically read. Um, so in this nonfiction piece, the sort of doubling she creates for herself with flipping back from the present I and like the past you is this really beautiful separation between where she is now and who she was. And like coming to realize that or coming to know her in that way is a really intimate thing for a reader, which I, I don't feel like even usually in biographies or memoirs, readers can really connect with a person as intimately as you can in um, in this work, especially because it's in second person for part of it. So it's almost like you become her, which is kind of insane. <laughs> So yeah, scary. Definitely. I thought I had the word mm -hmm. for a second. I thought I was like, oh, the word's there that is not heavy, but is the right, but it, it's not there yet. So I don't know, holding out for that one. Um, yeah, I think, I think the use of varying point of views is like just another one of the many things that sets this book up apart from every or from a lot of other things in its genre um there was one review mm -hmm. that I read of it which I would actually like to read because I don't know I, I felt like it said it said a lot in pretty words that I didn't want to try and rephrase because I felt like it was said right um so we have In the Dream House is a genre-bending, formally inventive, generous memoir that adds both documentation to the archive as well as a work of art to be admired for its narrative achievements. Machado's memoir adds something vital to the canon of queer history. Above everything else, this book is a gift to the reader, to anyone suffering in violence that is hard to prove or name, and people looking for ways to tell their stories that have few or no precedents. And that's from the San Francisco Chronicle. Ah, uh, it's so true. It's, uh, it's such a beautiful explanation because this really is a contribution to queer history. Um, especially, especially more recently, I think, as an academic society, we've really become more conscious of the lack of queer history and queer theory in our disciplines. And kind of going back to find and discuss on those things. I think Machado even talks about how nothing um, in queer history is set in stone or necessarily like completely factual because of this nature of having to go back and pull from history that erased queer narratives and try to find the inherent queerness in things. So nothing is really as like black and white or set 
as we're used to with history, like, oh, this happened, this is the way things were, because all of those narratives were erased. And I think oftentimes in trying to subvert or bring forth those narratives, we want, like Machado talks about, and like I talked about a little bit before, we want to pull forward queer people as very perfect, very inhuman, and um, just so that they can get representation or that so that we could get representation that's good and part of good representation isn't necessarily being good people it's being real people so yeah i think this this book is impactful in more ways than one <laughs> that was so wonderfully said <laughs> thank you wow um and i think in um, I forget kind of how I was going to say this, but I think in that way, in in the sense that um, she talks about the lack of black and whiteness of queer history, and she, she's really engaging in the conversation about queer history and queer present and um, queer and uh, queerness in literature and the lack thereof like she's directly engaging in the conversation she comments on it she responds to it she really kind of there there are several points throughout the book where she kind of addresses potential criticisms and like questions um that the potential reader would pose and yeah I think that's probably another reason this feels like such an intimate read in terms of uh, author to reader, because she's seriously engaging in a conversation rather than just telling Absolutely. her story. It's, it's very relevant. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's so like nuanced and not seen before is the fact that the author is both very cognizant of how her past experiences are still relevant experiences now and that the dialogue surrounding these experiences still isn't talked about. So, Was there anything that bothered you about this book? Nothing comes to mind. Nothing really bothered me. I mean, I feel like the, the subject matter of the book is, is intense, you know, and it's very intimate. But it's real. I, I wasn't ever, like, bothered by anything. I don't know. What about you? Nothing in the writing. I, and I feel, like, so mean even saying this. But, um, no, nothing in the writing or, or the story or anything, you know, like, bothered me in terms of technique or obviously what she went through was horrible. And that bothers right. me, to say the least. Um but so I listened to it as an audiobook and it was read by the author, which is really nice, but it was hard to listen to. Um, and I'm uh, like, you can hear my voice, and obviously that's not great, but um, no self deprecation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, just other people deprecation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was just, like, 
very consistently on vocal fry and I'm also like I I work on on voice and I think about voice a lot so like that stands out to me but I did feel like it um every sentence sort of sounded the same which I think maybe did a disservice which I hate saying because it's her work and she should be able to read it however she wants um but to me I didn't love the physical act of listening to it um because it it sounded a little bit too consistent and um a lot of vocal fry a lot of uh I really hate Uh slam poetry (laughs) I think I'm the bad cop on this podcast I appreciate poetry so much and I would prefer to read it written down <laughs> or on paper. Um, the, I don't know why. Um, and this reminded me of that. Um, so, yeah. But other than that, no, it was great. I really liked it. I would recommend it with, uh, you know, the caveat of a trigger warning of uh, domestic and psychological Absolutely. abuse. Um, yeah, yeah, that was my two cents on Thank that. Thank you. I, I did not listen to it as an audiobook, so um, I, I actually need to, like, get into audiobooks, but I'm kind of vehemently, like, I need the paper in my hands. <laughs> so I, I need to, like, unclench my fists a little bit <laughs> and try it. But I totally, I definitely think this lent itself to to, like, being in the written form well. So I could see how that yeah, could be I could see unsettling. That. Yeah, there's also something like, like I actually listened to this. I graduated. I packed up my room and I got in my car to drive home, and I hit play and I started this book, and that's a very strange juxtaposition. And I like I knew I do that all the time. I just I don't know. I'll start a new book that's probably not super happy um just in the middle of the day and like going about my day listening to tragedy um I don't know what that (laughs) says about me but uh so I probably was in kind of a weird headspace listening to it too but I did really enjoy it I want to read it again I do think I don't read a lot of books over but I feel like there's so much in this one that especially listening to it as an audiobook I'd like to go back and see what I missed because I never catch everything. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's You impossible. can't. Um, I would definitely... I actually have a question for you based on um, the fact that you were driving while you were listening to this. There's... Driving is a huge element of this, of this work. You know, she drives around a lot. And a lot of the... Like, we get introduced to her and her partner and their dynamics between each other a lot in the road trips they take to go see each other and to like do things so like how did that do you feel like that tied in for you anyway while you were listening to it you know what like I hadn't I did think about it a little bit in the moment but not outside of that and I I think it did because like the, the taking taking the long commute from from school to home or where you live to your hometown or whatever is a very familiar thing to me. I grew up in Pennsylvania and I went to school in New York and so you know making that drive home on the Friday night 
is is like a kind of vibe that I'm very familiar with. Um, not with so heavy um, things on either side of the drive. Um, <clears throat> but I think that was like the way her thoughts would spin when she was in the car. I totally sunk mm-hmm. right into that. I right away I I I feel like I latched onto that and it especially cuz I was driving in the moment it felt like those were my thoughts. Wow. Um like I'm driving and I'm hearing her thoughts when she's driving and also her hometown I believe was Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is just about 40 30 minutes from where I live. So that uh, landscape and area was very familiar to me and as is a lot of New York where another part of it takes place um, so that was a fun little tidbit too but that I did want to say also um, related to that that I felt that the sense of place in this book was very mm-hmm. strong um, there were at least three like super distinct settings that we came back to um, throughout and each of them had, like, there were, there was so much, um, like, continuity through the book because of the characters. And the way that c- contrasted with the very distinct settings I thought was clever and very Definitely. interesting. Yeah. I liked that, um, Machado, again, like, wrote about her experiences going to writer's retreats. Um, towards the end of the the end of the work because that was kind of familiar to me from her work and in um her body and other parties when she she writes kind of a more like horrific short story there about um being at a writer's retreat and I just like when I had read that story it felt very intimate and very much like the author herself had like been to a writer's retreat or experience something similar. So, like, the fact that, like, she kind of, like, discussed that and other experiences she had there, I thought, was really, like, coming back to something for me. Which is weird to feel like you're coming back to something in a place that you've never been. So I think that just shows how strong the sense of place was, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and now I want to read her body and other parties again too yeah it who would you recommend this book to if anyone or everyone (laughs) I think everyone I think um especially especially like queer people like I think that you should just read this just because yeah it's it's hard to articulate the way that I felt so, like, naturally just, like, seen and understood by by this book and by this author that I think that this could be, especially for, like, um, queer, like, female-identifying people, I think that would be, that would be a really cool space to return to. Um, there's actually, I, like, took some notes in my book because I'm a heathen. And I love books, but I will write in them and, like, bend the spine. And, yes, I bend the spine. If you're going to buy the physical books... It's... Then... Yeah. Use them for all their worth. worth. Um, I'm also, like, once I learned that annotation was a thing, I kind of, like, lost my mind. 
So, <laughs> um, okay, so this is a quote. And just like as a human being, I, this really resonated with me. And I was literally like talking with my mom about like this, this same feeling. And then I read this, picked up this book and was like, that's exactly how I feel. But like in nice words, you know, like, wow. Oh my God. Okay. So she says, this is on page 14 and this is part of the excerpt dream house as an exercise in point of view. And she says, I was whole, a symbiotic relationship between my best and worst parts. And then, in one sense of the definition, I was cleaved, a neat lop that took first person, that assured, confident woman, the girl detective, the adventurer, away from second, who was always anxious and vibrating like a too small breed of dog. And and then just, like, reading that again, that ties into this whole idea that the her first person self is this very like strong and articulate person who's overcome all of these things and then her second person self is the person being abused and like the way that she felt belittled but also just as a human being I always feel like there's these two disparate parts of myself the adventurer the really like cunning and intelligent person who wants to explore and like do all of these things and then the like scared anxious person (laughs) Who, like, wants to hide all the time. So, yeah. It's just... And there was a lot of moments like that where I was like, That! Right there! <laughs> That's me! Ah. That was definitely a moment. I remember when I heard that part. I was in my car and I just went, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I talk to myself a lot when I drive, but, like, that got me. I was, like, kind of relieved that other people feel that, too. Because I feel like you and I have had conversations about this. Like, I used to be cool. (laughs) I used to be brave and want to do things, and now I have to hype myself up to go to the post office. Like, literally. (laughs) And... I think that is kind of one of the central themes of the book, that nothing is anything all mm-hmm. the time. Nothing human is one thing Absolutely. all the time. Uh, I know. I have to, like, hype myself up to even, like, get outside for, like, a walk. <laughs> or, like, to hang out with friends, you know? It's just, like... And it's not that I don't want to. <laughs> it's, Yeah. So just like this idea that not only does someone else like feel the same way that we do, but like someone whose work is published, who's like, you know, someone that we inherently respect (laughs) feels the same things, which I think has a whole other level. Because when you talk with your friends, it's really like comforting to find out that like, oh, you feel the same thing I do. Yeah, like, yeah, that's great. But. I feel like the way our society structured, unless someone in a position of power feels that it, it's not real. <laughs> it sure does Which feel is like totally that, untrue, yeah. but that's the way that we're, like, made to feel. So, the fact that, like, someone who we know is a good writer, who we, like, respect as an individual, just, like, feels the same thing that we do really, like, pulls it down. Which is to say that as an author like (laughs) 
my goal is to like show people that like they're okay to exist you know that like your feelings are valid (laughs) just because the society says they aren't or doesn't like represent them doesn't mean that they're not there you know which is why we need representation for all things so yeah yes (laughs) yes yes well with that shall we go into our personalized book recommendation of the week (laughs) uh would you like to read it yeah to read the request it's on my phone Okay, so the request we got today was for fantasy, a more whimsical tone, some humor is good, I also like unique world building, which is very up my alley. <laughs> I know it is, so just take okay, it so away. I two books. Um, let me grab them, because I want to talk about them while holding them. <laughs> So, the, f- the first one I picked is 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Haro, and this definitely, it's more of a low fantasy than a high fantasy, so it does take place, in, like, on Earth, um, but there are also other realms that are visited in the story, and it's this whole idea that there are these doors that lead to different time periods in different worlds, And it centers around this character who um, kind of travels around through them. And it's just this very whimsical and beautiful story about finding yourself, finding your family, and just an appreciation for other cultures and um, other worlds and, like, ancient artifacts and all of these things. And it made my heart very happy. (laughs) So, I think that really fits the, like, whimsical um, fantasy vibe kind of thing. On the other and the unique world building, even though it is set in Earth, the, the uh, this concept of, like, the doors and sort of the time travel and also, like, interdimensional travel is really cool. And then also, on a high fantasy level, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. I have a problem. This is one of my favorite books. It's from the series, um, The Grave of Empires. It's called Seven Blades in Black by Sam Sykes. It looks like this. Oh, that's a cool cover. Um, so this one is, I have never connected with a character in my adult life as much as the main character from this book. Um, she is very sarcastic and sassy, and the humor is very wry and cunning, and she's also queer and a badass, and it's just so cool. The- the world building, I think the magic system is the most fun. It's so- it's dark and weird and funny, and it is kind of whimsical, just because you can kind of see all of these references to even to pop culture- and to things that have existed for a while made into these cool like magical characters and it's the the world itself I feel like gets more developed in the second book but the magic is really like hyped up in this book and the character also kind of switches between points of view which I really love and it's just it's so much fun 
it's uh the humor it it hurts my heart the the first line of the book is um everyone loved a good execution and it's just it's great it's great i would read this over again which is rare for me i don't usually read books twice I feel like that's exactly what this person wanted, and I am, uh, I don't, Izzy knows this, but I do not read a lot of fantasy or happy things, (laughs) Um, so whimsical and fantasy was a tough one. Um, I, I really, like, I keep track of all the books I read, and so I went back through my list from, like, the past three years. And I had, like, four fantasy books. And I know... Well, actually, no. That's not true. There were more, but none of them fantasy ones that I had were happy. Um, One... This is really the only one I could throw out, and I feel like I'm going to kind of get crucified for it because it's, like, all over book talk and whatever. But I really liked it, and it was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And I... Have you read it? I haven't We've read it yet. It, but... I do own it. Well, I gave it to my mom for Christmas, so it's in my house. <laughs> okay. That's how yeah. my house works, too. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of times my mom will buy books, but then she'll read them for, like, she'll buy them for me, but then she reads them first, which yeah. is fun. I bought it for um, her, but it will come back to my shelf eventually. <laughs> So, um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by, by V.E. Schwab is about, it's sort of a Faustian retelling, um, girl makes a deal with the devil, uh, sells her soul for, I don't want to give too much away, but for the chance to live a different life than the one she's, um, staring down in, I believe, the 16th century? Maybe 17th century. Um... And it follows her from that point, 16th or 17th century, to up until, I believe it's 2017. So I feel like that's maybe not the kind of world building you were looking for. But to me, it became this very distinct, like, you were you were with this girl for hundreds of years. And um, <laughs> so, I don't know, probably not the kind of fantasy you're looking for. But it was really good. Um, it <laughs> I wouldn't call it overall whimsical, but there the moments of whimsy that you would find in it were kind of all the more precious for it. Um, I it goes it um, starts out in France. Uh, you go through New York City, Boston, I believe, like a lot of different a lot of the major cities, um, and you kind of get to experience them through a bunch of different time periods. Um, and I thought that was cool. I think it's worth a read, even if it's not what you're looking for for this recommendation. So, yeah. there it is. You know, we want to have different options. It's okay. I'm, I'm going to get you into some high fantasy. It'll happen. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm ready for it. 
I need to branch out. <laughs> it's okay. Like, I'm branching out when you, like, pick out things. So, like, it's good. <laughs> I just need to find, like, a book that we can read at some point together that's high fantasy. That's not, like, too long. <laughs> yeah, I guess that will be Which a is thing, a difficult endeavor. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find it. Yeah, they do tend to tend to be on the more brick-like <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm uh for the for the listeners who can't see me, I'm like staring at my pile of like TBR fantasy books. So, yeah. Speaking of which, what are you reading now? I'm reading The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller still. <laughs> um, I've been reading this for a couple weeks now, and it's so good. It's so good. Um, I was hesitant to read it just because there was so much hype around it. And I read Cersei years ago and, like, loved it. And was so... It, it was, like, one of those books where it's gotten so much hype that you're, like... It's going to be great, but, like, I'm scared, and I don't want to, like, start reading it because I have so many expectations, you know? And, like, it's good. I don't want to, like, ruin the vibe. So I I picked it up and forced myself to read it because I was like, enough is enough. <laughs> and it's Madeline Miller, just chef's kiss. Like, she somehow can create such verbose and beautiful settings and experiences in such short prose and I don't understand (laughs) it's so lush and vibrant and you really connect with these characters that you don't really get the chance to connect with when you read about them in the Iliad and like I have been vehemently a an um an Achilles hater for like most of my life because in the Iliad, he's whiny and annoying, and he just, like, calls on his mom all the time, and he's super full of himself, and it's just, ugh. But, like, the Achilles in Song of Achilles <laughs> is seen through Patroclus's eyes, and he becomes this just, this, like, humorous, charming, like, very genuine and honest person, and it's lovely, and as a Greek mythology nerd, it's it's hitting all the right notes, which is really hard because retellings ride a really fine line between exposition and actually um, like rebuilding their own narratives. And I feel like Madeline Miller really has that down. So, yeah. What are you reading? Um, I'm also still reading same book as last time we talked. I'm... Uh, finishing up To Shake the Sleeping Self by Jedediah Jenkins, which is the true story. It's a memoir of Jedediah Jenkins, a man who rode his bike from Oregon to Patagonia, the southernmost tip of South America. And I love adventure stories like that. Like I love accounts of hiking the Appalachian Trail. I worked on the Appalachian Trail for a summer. I live right off of the Appalachian Trail, um, a couple states down. Um, and like I read about the PCT all the time. Like I don't really <laughs> want to hike them. I like hiking, but I don't know if I like it that much. But I I just love I love stuff like that. Um, and 
yeah, I, I really, I'm really liking this one. Um, it's, I like that it's pretty frank. Um, it, it's, there are points where it's like, it, it gets um, a little bit more like philosophical and extrapolating about the larger world from this trip, but like that's not the base of the story, which I appreciate. There's a lot of sharing. Um, uh, Jenkins shares a lot about the cultural differences he experiences um, within the United States for a brief-ish time and then through Central and South America. And I feel like that's one of the most interesting parts of the book and a part that I didn't really expect to... I didn't even really think about it, I guess, um, because, you know, with... uh, like through hikers accounts they're mostly in the woods <laughs> like they don't they they see they have um like trail angels and people helping them out but the vast majority of the time they're just kind of walking through the woods um so i really like that i've been reading it for a while it's my bedtime book i read like a few pages or a chapter a night and then i just started yesterday station 11 um oh gosh who's it by me <laughs> too many tabs if that isn't a movie. Um, <laughs> Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And so this is kind of about the world before and after a flu pandemic um, wipes out a large portion of the population. Um, this is a book that I saved to my um, Libby account and I placed a hold on like months ago and then I kind of forgot what it was about but the hold uh, like came it was my turn to read it and so I just kind of went for it and I was like oh yeah that's what this one is, is. Um, but it's it's an interesting uh, story because it's told from the point of view of a troop of actors um, and it really parallels what was going on um, at Shakespeare's Globe both before and after the plague shut it down um, and so I was not expecting this but it's I'm a I'm a theater nerd. I'm a Shakespeare nerd, um, and the fact it's so um, kind of interwoven the the story of before the flu the, f- the pandemic, the story of after the flu pandemic, and Shakespeare's language, which I totally wasn't expecting, but it's so cool. And so anyone who's who's into into Shakespeare or um, like more verse would be they would really really get a kick out of I think the different references in there. So yeah, that's what I'm that reading. That sounds really cool. Like how a person would tie that all together is like really intriguing. Wow. Yeah, I am excited to see where yeah, it goes. Damn. And the whole the whole book starts off like in what would kind of be like just modern times like pre well (laughs) pre-pandemic um but anyway it's at a theater and it's during a production of King Lear and the actor playing Lear uh has a massive heart attack and drops dead and like that's on the first page or so so I don't feel like that's too much of a spoiler um but that kicks it all off and I thought I was reading a story about you know a post-apocalyptic world so when I launched into that I was like what um but yeah, so liking that so far. And what are we reading next? Ah, uh, yes. 
We are reading The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. Do you want to talk about what that's about? Yes. Okay, so this is described as... So we didn't read it yet, so I'm just going to give you a quick little synopsis based on what I found on the internet. Um, so by Marie Benedict, the story of a brilliant woman... Brilliant woman scientist only remembered from her beauty. So... Uh, this takes place during World War II. Um, her, this woman's, who's this about? <laughs> who's the real person? What's um, her name? I can talk about this. So, like, this, this woman was, um, a famous actress that was basically, um, extolled for her beauty. Um, but she was also really smart. She basically, like, invented the, like, programming, like, the idea behind Wi-Fi. So, like, she's insanely, like, smart. But she never got the credit for those, like, scientific endeavors or for her, like, engineering capabilities. And she was only ever really seen for her beauty and for her acting, which was mostly centered around in the eyes of, the, of people as, you know, her, like, her presence or her physical appearance. So, yeah. That's that's all I, like, I know a little bit more about her, but I feel like that might be, like, a given yeah. a little bit too um, much. So. Yeah, the only other thing I would add is that... She she was very in she mm-hmm. Okay, let's take this line from the synopsis. She had an idea that might help the country fight the Nazis and revolutionize modern communication if anyone would listen to her. And we'll leave it at that. Is it bad that I'm already trying to come up with standalone fantasy novels? No, because I'm already like, ooh, what am I going to read after this one? So I'm just like, <laughs> not me not pulling from my current collection. Oh, jeez. I'm not opposed to else. reading the first to a series. But. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, that's but, fair. Like, that's I'm fair. a little bit opposed, you know? Solely because I'm in the middle of, I want, I really badly want to start a new series, but I'm also in the middle of Brandon Sanderson's, um, the Stormlight Archive series, which is really fat. It's a big series. I mean, it's not a, let's rephrase that. There's only four books, but they're each like over a thousand pages. They're each a brick. So... I, I was about to start a new series, and then I think I kind of just decided that after I finish Song of Achilles, I'm going to jump back into Stormlight, because if I don't do it now, Fair enough. will I do it ever? So. All right. I think that's going to do it for this one. All right. Yeah. We'll be back soon to, to talk about right. the only woman in the room and a whole lot more. <laughs>